Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great, fantastic episode of Sega Saturn Shiro, the only podcast burning up the tires. I'm here with the usual group. Uh, Kay? Hi. Claire? Hey. Dave? Yo. And then some other unimportant guy, but he doesn't matter. Let's ignore him. Anyways, uh, we have a lot of great stuff in store, guys. Today on the episode, we're going to be talking about racers, but not the way you think. We're going to be talking about more obscure racers and racers on two wheels. So it's going to be very interesting, and we got a lot of fun games we want to talk about. But uh, before we start off, let's uh, give some updates. Uh, what do you got for us, Dave? Well, uh, first and foremost, um, I finally did something that'll make Patty Cakes proud, and that is I picked up a VGA capture card. Um, yes. And since my entire setup is based on VGA output, you know, Dreamcast, PS2, PS1, Saturn, everything is going VGA for me. Using the XRGB2 and the Waka and all that jazz, um, I went with uh, like an Epifan VGA to USB. And so I will be soon putting out video that doesn't look like shit. <laughs> oh, nice. So uh, where exactly did you get this uh, capture card from? And what kind of capture card is it? I just got it off eBay. And the thing is, it's one of these deals that used to be super, super expensive, like between 800 and and $1,000, which was ridiculous as it is. But, um, you know, it's a lot cheaper now because everybody's moved on to HDMI. You know, it's pretty much standard, like Elgato's and Avermedia's and whatever the newest, greatest thing is. But all I really need to do is capture, you know, 640 by 480 VESA, you know, VGA. Um, from the Dreamcast and from the Saturn and stuff like that. So it's the, I, this is going to be perfect. It's going to capture, you know, 60 frames per second. And um, it's going to allow me to make some better videos. So that's that's exciting. And then what else? Um, just playing a lot of Sonic R. Really got into that. Uh, really got my money's worth out of that game, I think. And, yeah, I, got uh, a, so I see all your racing times and your face just getting happier and happier at your times get crazier it's kind of funny seeing your face facial expressions evolve in those posts you're being serious well, well yeah it, it's funny like i'm seeing you like i'm seeing you the times getting posted and your face is getting happier when it gets shorter oh yeah well that's supersonic is just ridiculous you know um i i said in the video it's like a uh, it's like a volkswagen bug with a ferrari engine in it you know it's just like all over the place you know but it's lots of fun and um i have a whole new perspective on that game Nice, nice. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of happy. I'm really happy you got that capture card, and I'm really excited to see what cool footage we can see. I mean, we'll miss the mirrors and everything, but, you know, yeah, maybe there'll be a time and place time and place for doing that. So you got anything else, Dave? No, that about wraps it up. Just preparing for this cast, you yeah. All right, so uh, since we're sort of all really busy, I don't think there's a lot of more updates, I'll, I'll just give a, a quick update on myself. Um it actually just got done with a ZapCon, and I uh, I met a fan there. Uh, his name was Eric. Uh, his Twitter handle is uh, Mr. Grumpy Monkey. Uh, go follow him on Twitter. He's a really really cool guy. He does a lot of streaming on uh, Microsoft's Mixer platform and stuff like that. Uh, but we met up, uh, played played some fun arcade games. Uh, I was a bit sad, and there wasn't uh it wasn't a lot of Sega representation. The only thing I really played Sega was Moonwalker. I mean, they didn't have you know really anything which kind of bummed me out about the whole experience uh but you know i still had a great time i played uh panic park that game was insane i played that with my little brother that was a that was a ton of fun uh picked up a um initial d uh four arcade marquee and 
a couple Tekken uh, decals for my friend that hooked me up. So he was really happy he can finally get those decals. He been he was about to pull the trigger on like a ninety dollar eBay auction, and I got him like all plus that that initial D four marquee for like twenty five bucks. So uh-huh. he was pretty ecstatic. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and uh, personally, I actually got more gifts than anything. But uh, I actually picked up a ten dollar uh, Miss Pac Man bootleg that reads on the side of it uh, funky colors so I don't know what the heck that's supposed to mean but it was $10 and I haven't plugged into the JAMA it, it's unkeyed so I'm kind of worried but as long as it follows that whole the whole solder side thing it should be fine but I think I'm going to try to do some verification before I plug the thing in so. you'll have to keep us updated on those funky colors Pat yeah I, I don't know what the heck that meant on the side of it uh I'm not really much of an arcade guy. As as much as I like them, I really need to get deep into it. But yeah, all in all, I had a great time. Met up with a bunch of friends. I like a lot of guys from the local Arizona community. Uh, met up with John Lester from uh, the uh, he does his own channel on gaming. So uh, he does the Game On Expo. So we just talked about bringing the PVMs there. So hopefully we'll be seeing those uh, seeing those there at Game On Expo in Arizona on August 11th through 14th, I think, or 12th or 14th. But that's the next con I'm going to. Uh, if you guys want to, oh yeah, well yeah, it's it's Arizona, dude. Arizona in August. It's cool, yeah. But uh, I'll keep you guys in the know, and uh, I'll I'll definitely be repping repping Sega for sure at Game On Expo because I know there's not a lot of Sega representation out there, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to get that going. But uh, gotta wear that Shiro merch. Exactly, exactly. I'm gonna be having T-shirts. Uh, gonna be throwing business cards at people's faces, you know. No, won't be. Maybe I'll throw the cards out now, but, uh, but yeah. Besides that, uh, just usual life stuff and just playing some Sega Saturn Shiro games or Sega Saturn games. Sorry, I'm gonna be playing Sega Saturn games. There we, we go. Transcended. <laughs> I'm a, a little bit out of it, but we'll get that. But that's yeah, that, that's about it. Now let's move into the news and updates because there's been a lot of uh, a lot of news going on in the Sega community. Why don't we start off with the bad news first? Because there's a lot of good that's happened in the past couple weeks, but for Panzer Dragoon fans especially, things haven't been going so well. Oh man, yeah. Uh, so they canceled the remake. No, <laughs> no <laughs> they didn't do that. Uh, so what happened was unfortunately. They had to delay the uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga uh, resurrected soundtrack on vinyl. There seemed to be a issue with manufacturing. Essentially, what they basically broke it down to was that their, the manufacturer was, was shipped out to the partners. But they, uh, a- after looking at that in the initial s- the samples, there seemed to be a manufacturing error that really affects the entire run they did. So they're probably going to have to throw out a lot of what they did. And to be honest, I'm not as sad about it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of happy that they... Uh, realized that it wasn't up to snuff and they decided to hold it back and really say better version. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Um, The only people that I do feel for are some of the people who bought both the CD and the vinyl together Mm -hmm. um, haven't yet got their CDs because they were going to be shipped together um, Mm. for cost's sake. So there are people who are still waiting on getting anything at all. Um, Thankfully, we did get those MP3 versions um, on the 20th anniversary, but... 
yeah, I know a lot of fans are kind of chopping at the bit to have those vinyl records. Um, yeah, uh, I'm definitely one of them. My my turntable's sitting there looking at me in front of me. Is like, put the record on the table, please. I want to listen to. But they know you again. guys have high expectations, so. Oh yeah. Blow it, you know. Uh, yeah. That's what I really appreciate appreciate about it. Uh, I, I hope they they'll be able to rectify the shipping issue, with uh, maybe just sending out the CD or doing something. But like Claire was saying, they have the MP3, so that that held me over really well. So I've been I've been listening. Actually, I actually downloaded that by the way. I think I mentioned it on the last podcast. I forgot. I actually did listen to it. Download and listen to it this time. Great album. Were Great. they? Um, it, Pat. I loved it as well. Were they like really compressed, or do they offer like flack or like some lossless? Uh, they offered fl- a, a flack and lost this option, so I, I went with that. But I upload all of it to Google Play for my car. Cool. So unfortunately, it probably does more more MP3 encoding due to the mm-hmm. play issues. But uh, it's on there in flack, so it's been added to the archive. So we'll be seeing that soon, guys. And hold on tight, and you'll be rewarded shortly. Yeah, nice. and. When it rains, it pours for Panzer fans, because I don't know if um, any of you have been following this, but the composer, Sayori Kobayashi, was to perform at Universal FanCon this weekend. She was going to be playing some of the songs from the new album with the Triforce Quartet, and that con ended up canceled altogether. So, Whoa, what? Yeah, the whole con ended up being canceled. They didn't have the funds to move forward. Oh so, my god. The people who were looking forward to seeing Sayori Kobayashi this weekend aren't going to be able to do so. Oh my gosh, that's that's just awful. Uh, what are I mean? How short notice was it canceled? Just a few days ago. Just a few days ago. So um, I saw. I, I that... mean, like how how long until it was like uh, about to go on? Was it like the day it was gonna go? Oh, it was this weekend that um, everything wow. was gonna happen. Oh my so gosh! It was really short notice for both the guests and the people who were. They just didn't sell enough tickets or something. Or... That's what it seems like. Wow. But I'm wow. really hoping that she'll be able to come back to the States another time. I had thought about going to that con, and then I ended up having other plans with school. But I'm really hoping that she'll have the opportunity to come back, because I know a lot of people were really looking forward to seeing her. I, I, imagine, I imagine she must come. She might come back in some capacity. Uh, one of the concerts I was actually lucky to go to, it's kind of unrelated, but I, I, I guess maybe just to, to sympathize with it, that I went to is a... One that's based off of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. They had the guys do all the intros for the, the, the songs, come and do the entire like intros for all of them. And I thought it was extremely magical and one of those concerts that you'd never see ever again in the States. So I'm hoping that, that people will be able to experience that and you know come back with something really memorable and be able to have that experience. And that I guess that's what really bums me out the most about it, is that people won't be able to have that experience I did with something I really love. So I, I hope that people will be able to do that and we get those MP3 recordings on YouTube. Definitely, definitely. Well, I guess that's enough about the bad. Um, do you guys want to talk about some of the better things that have happened in the Saturn world this week? Yeah, uh, this is kind of a, a bit stretching it in terms of Saturn, but uh, the Shenmue 1 and 2 remaster release. Uh, as people know, that started off on the Saturn as the a Virtua Fighter RPG uh, uh, Akira story, and eventually became a a very a really original game uh, with that sort of Virtua Fighter feel, but with uh, original characters in it, with uh, you know Ryo Hasuki and that whole storyline. But uh, 
Yeah, the Sega announced that the, it's uh, it's FES Fest that uh, they're going to do a remaster of one and two for uh, PS4, uh, Xbox One, and PC. So I'm very uh, I'm very excited to see where that goes. Uh, I know a lot. I'm, I mean, as, I know we're all Saturn, but I know that a lot of people are invested in Shenmue and the Saturn community as much as the Dreamcast community. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know. Are you guys going to be playing it? Uh, playing the remaster or are you guys uh are you guys gonna be trying it out or are you guys gonna pass on it i mean i've already played both one and two and i'm really more interested in three if that ever comes um i'm interested to see what we can expect from the remaster but uh i've kind of seen side by sides um you know wipes that kind of show difference between one or the other and honestly like i've already experienced number two uh, a couple times, so I might I might try it at some point, but it's not kind of like on my priority list. I definitely want to get it just to support the the mm-hmm. company, or just to show I have support of that. So just buy a copy on Steam, oh, just leave it in my just library. To give Sega your money any way you can, and I mean yeah. I think it's a great. People need to play Shenmue too. Really, if they didn't play it, they need to. Um, if you liked Shenmue one, Shenmue two will blow your mind. It's it. I mean. Think about it this way. It's all one vision. You know, it's it's all Yu Suzuki's vision, and, and it was an insanely great game. Um, kind of slow in the beginning, but you get past that that street chase thing, and then you kind of it gets really moving, and it kind of snowballs. It's it's really, really good. Nice. Yeah, so uh, check that out, guys, and hopefully when it drops sometime this year, mm-hmm. uh, just buy it. I mean, even if you have the game, just buy it. Just to show Sega, I, we want this. I know that's been harkened by everybody on Earth, but I, I just want to reinforce to you guys because I think it's important that we show Sega because that might lead to, you know, maybe some Saturn stuff or maybe something something even deeper, maybe releases of different games that we haven't seen before or even thought of being released. Yeah, save up your capsule toys and then you can afford it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, also, I guess uh, real quick on that note, uh, uh, data disks... Uh, announced that they're also going to be repressing Shenmue on vinyl again uh, as part of this release campaign. Why would they want to repress it? It's it's great. It's... <laughs> I'm being repressed. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're going to... They're gonna, okay, Dave. Uh, they're going to repress it and put it on vinyl again for people that really want to get their hands on it and listen to it, because it's, it's a really high-in-demand record, and it's it's going right now for like 60 to $90 on the bay. So, I mean, I mean, usually it goes for 25 when it's new. Mm-hmm. I have a copy myself, and it, it sounds fantastic. If you guys haven't got a hold of it, go do it, please. It, the the record has the best, one of the best game soundtracks I've ever heard, and the opening theme kind of moves me to tears in ways. Yeah, I know that's cheesy, but you know, it's good. So, uh, let's uh, let's move on to something extremely big, which I think shocked all of us, which was. Sega Ages on Switch plus uh, Saturn and DC games on Switch. Yes. So I'm, I know that sort of blew us away. Uh, okay, I remember you dropped the 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 article on that. Did you have some more info on what exactly is going to be happening? I only got uh, the information that I had from that video, but I sat and and watched the whole thing. And they're releasing uh, Sega Ages on the Switch with one of the games being Thunder Force 4. 
and they're not using the Mega Drive version. They're actually going to be using the Saturn version. Oh, uh, wow. Which is, yeah, it's kind of kind of a big deal. Um, and apparently at uh, Sega Fest, um, there was a, a strong opinion of you know Sega Corporate that they want to put more Saturn and Dream um, in people's hands through the like the Sega Ages kind of sort of releases. So that's kind of big news uh, in our world that they would choose to put an emulation of the Saturn you know uh, version of this game when they could have easily cheapened out and put the Genesis version or the Mega Drive version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited, Kay. I mean, I mean, it could lead to an infinite amount of potentials if this proves that the Saturn emulation is up to snuff on the Switch. I mean, we could be seeing seeing Burning Rangers, uh, Knights in the Dream, well, a uh, Knights in the Dream port of the direct Saturn version, mm-hmm. uh, Virtual One. Uh, I mean, maybe not that Virtual One, the arcade one, but uh, but you y- you get my idea though, right? That we could be seeing games that we potentially. Saturn. Yeah, portable Saturn games, games we've never seen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And all of this hinges on, like you said earlier, Pat, people supporting the 15 classics that they've already announced that they're going to be releasing under the Sega Ages brand. Mm -hmm. Um, If people really show that there's interest in this and that they want to buy these games, who knows what we might see from the Saturn Dreamcast. Yeah, if you guys have been out there burning discs for like the last decade, enjoying all of the Sega goodness and you want to finally have a way to give back to Sega, this is it. This is your chance. So, Open uh, your wallets. <laughs> what I knew of is that it was going to be um, Sonic, Fantasy Star, and Thunder Force, and there were going to be 15 other titles, but I don't know that they named them yet. The ones that you. they listed were Alex Kidd and Miracle World, Ground Gain, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Thunder Force 4, and Fantasy Star. Gain Ground? Gain Ground, yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. They reversed words on the article. I'm on the article, ground game. <laughs> like that doesn't make any I sense. I knew what you were talking about, though. Yeah. What is that? It was like a top-down arcade, kind of like vertical arcade game. Came out on the Mega Drive. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh... stuff like lightning and swords and. <laughs> nice. So yeah, guys, I'm really excited for that, and I really am excited to see where this leads, and hopefully, that could go from. From all the way to potentially Burning Majors to maybe Panzer Dragoon Saga. And wouldn't that be a, a, a massive treat? It really would. I would love for more people to be able to experience that game. Just, you know, easily accessible. Alright, so uh, for our final news update, uh, why don't we talk about the, uh, the very bizarre Kutaku article that really came out of left field which was the article by Chris Kohler called Two Guys Making New Sega CD Jewel Cases Are in an Accidental War. Now, this was a bit of a bizarre story. I mean, it's just bizarre the fact that he got so much mainstream coverage. I mean, let's be honest, who really cares about us Saturn guys in the big picture of gaming culture, right? But uh, essentially what happened was uh, uh, initially the, the one collector from VGC Collection... Uh, Put, started putting one to put on this release these C cases for the Sega CD, but due to the ability to do the copyright and price and technical feasibility, uh, it just wasn't uh, it wasn't doable. So uh, what he did was basically put it to a sideline, and uh, a couple years later he found the 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 copyright lapsed and he had the funds and means to do it. Or at least it was a little bit cheaper, and uh, 
as he was doing it, he found out that uh, Limited Run Games also was doing a take on it as well. And it was, uh, now it seems like it's going to be a, a competition sort of thing. It looks like that they're heading to. I don't think they maybe wanted to do it or they don't want to do any hostilities. It's just kind of bizarre. So, I mean, unfortunately with the VGC collector cases, it's going to be starting off a bad footing due to the issues that we've talked about in the previous podcast with the, the, the inability to close and some of the, uh, the, the inserts being different. Uh, but to my knowledge, the uh, limited run games are supposed to be 100% the same down to every detail. So, I mean, to be honest, though, right now it uh, remains to be seen what's going to happen and move forward. But uh, I wanted to see what you guys thought about it. Yeah, um, what I found most interesting in that article is that um, VGC Online actually said that he um, hoped to correct the problems that we noted with his cases in the next run that are made. So, I mean, if his customers um, have the confidence that they'll be fixed, I don't know, maybe he will be a contender against Limited Run. Yeah, so uh, I think that Limited Run, having the experience they do with all the other releases that they've done, um, I think that they know how collectors can be and how they want something that is, you know, as close to, if not exactly like the original as possible to appease, you know, whatever OCD or whatever, you know, they, they just want it to be perfect, you know? And so that's why I think limited run is waiting. And that's why I think that I'm optimistic about what product they're going to put out. Um, I hope this guy is able to create good competition in the market. Cause you know, that'll benefit us in the end, but, uh, but I'm still kind of uh, waiting to see what Limited Run does. Yeah, I mean, and so far there's been no announcement when it's going to be released, no definitive date. It's basically, we're working on it. And I mean, this guy can make Limited Run drop their price, you know, because maybe with another competitor out there, um, they might, you know, try to make it even more affordable. Who knows? Yeah, uh, it definitely remains to be seen, but the... All we can do right now is just unfortunately play the waiting game and uh, hope to move on. Uh, I was looking online. Apparently, he dropped the price by 10 bucks to try to move the stock, the BGC online. So uh, uh, if you guys are looking for cheap cases that, you know, maybe not be the best, but they get the job done, I would go ahead and uh, buy a couple or at least get one. All right, guys, let's uh, close out on the news and move on to our obscure game of the cast. do a highlight on the Sega Ages version of OutRun, which has a very interesting history. Uh, Originally released on Sega Ages collection in Japan as a singular disc, and uh, later on was supported by Working Designs in the Sega Ages collection. And it really is one of the strangest releases on the Saturn. And I know Kay has some experience with the weird differences with it. Is that right, Kay? Yeah, um... So, not to take anything away from the Sega Ages collection that we got in the U.S. and uh, in Europe, um, but Sega Ages kind of did a a different uh, sort of release pattern in Japan, where each game was 
uh, on its own disk. You know, like um, instead of having Outrun Afterburner uh, be on you know one collection, it was you got Afterburner uh, two on its own disk. You got Outrun on its own disk, and all the other. They actually had a lot more releases in Japan. But what was particularly interesting about um, Outrun is that uh, it's the only version of Outrun, to my knowledge, um, that runs at 60 frames a second. Uh, not even the arcade board runs it that fast. Wow. So that's uh, the first uh, interesting uh, tidbit. The second one, though, is that when um, Sega redesigned the motherboard on the Saturn with the uh, integrated chip, starting from, I believe it was uh, V11, V10 or V11, um, the uh, first pressings of Outrun in Japan and also, I believe, Afterburner. Uh, it was either Afterburner or Space Harrier. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember which. And uh, those two games um, are uh, what give later model uh, round-button Saturns uh, a bad name for compatibility. The first pressings won't work on it at all um, due to some sort of an error uh, with that chip. Uh, so they actually ended up uh, repressing uh, both of those games and uh, it makes it kind of a very rare variant on a game because there's no way for you to tell from the outside that it's anything different. Uh, the only way that you can tell is if you read the headers um, and see that it's like version 1.01 I believe um, or you can read the ring code and the faulty version or you know the first pressings are P1C uh, whereas the ones that work across all Saturns um, have a ring code that end in P1K. I mean, I think that is like one of the most the insane release workarounds of all time. And I mean, if you want to even add on top of that, I mean, just the fact that Sega didn't even release their own arcade collection that they had to have working designs do it is really a, a bigger a bigger kick to the gut and really just shows where Sega was at the time. I mean... Well, the arcades had kind of died off in the U.S. at that point, or they were dying off, but they hadn't in Japan. And Japanese people still really appreciated old-school arcade games, where it was like, in order to get U.S. customers to buy them, you had to like bring in three titles into one disc, and that's always the way they did it, right? With like Rainbow Islands and stuff, Bust a Move, mm -hmm. stuff like that. They would always pack in a bunch of retro stuff because they think, oh. They won't buy it any other way, and they were kind of right because we, like we were all Atari about collection. 3D. We were, yeah, we were all like about 3D, and we just didn't appreciate. You know, it would, maybe it was just too soon for us. We were just like, oh, that's you know. I mean, the American consumer was kind of, you know, just blind to just good classic game design, I guess. Yeah, and I think the other thing, just the way the Japanese arcade culture was there, where I mean, a lot of the machines are a put the game in and just switch out the title cards. There's all generic, you know, mm -hmm. candy cabs like Astro Cities and uh, Astro Cities, Blast Cities, all these other arcade cabinets. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it, it really just makes it a lot cheaper and easier to get the arcade boards and make their money's worth. I mean, a lot of the American ones were, were basically just, you know, large cabinets that were specific like Tekken or, you know, or... Uh, any of them, uh, Die Hard Arcade had specific decals and I guess it just was a, a different mentality that really might have been the downfall of arcades in the US. Well, I mean, it speaks to the fact that 
they put one game on a single disc. I mean, they didn't charge like full price for it. They were like discounted. The Sega Ages collection were definitely like budget titles, but I mean, Japanese consumers still looked at that as a worthwhile addition to the collection, you know? It definitely is.、Um, I had a chance to play it before the cast, and the 60 frames a second scroll is absolutely incredible. I'm feeling of speed that you get even from the original is great, but the 60 frames a second in conjunction with the great handling that the 3D pad gives this game, it's really the definitive version, like you said. So, the Japanese version isn't the only one that runs at、uh, 60 frames per second.、Um, all three region releases do run at 60 frames per second for Outrun.、Um, the interesting parts about the Japanese versus、uh, Europe and US is that it actually had a remix soundtrack, plus the,、uh, the issue with some Saturns not being able to play the first pressing. Regardless of how you look at it, though, the Saturn version is considered the definitive version of Outrun. Because even the original arcade、um, versions of the game, they're actually locked to 30 frames per second. Exactly. You're absolutely right. The Saturn version is the way to go. You're going to want to fire up some Outrun. You know, I had a lot of fun with that game.、Um, and so, you know, some people may、uh, cry foul that this isn't all that much of an obscure game, but really it's like the obscure facts about the game that make it kind of interesting. The whole Sega Ages situation is just a cluster. I think it's really cool, and that, I guess that's really one of the reasons why we decided to put it on the games list. Let's dig deep into our main topic two wheel racers and non conventional racing games. I know we've、uh, sort of delayed this a little bit, but I think it's a really interesting topic and I think we have a lot to talk about. So,、uh, why don't we jump right in and、uh, talk about our first game, Hang On GP? Now, this is、uh, one I thought I'd really like to talk about because I know a lot of people know about this game. It was supposed to be a sequel successor to the original Hang On game. And there's a lot of negative feelings about this game. I mean, people saying that it seems slower than the original Hang On. But personally, I'm going to be a little bit controversial and say I actually kind of like it. I mean, I like it in terms of it actually being a racing game on its own. And I do not like it at all as a successor to Hang On. But it has its own great merits as a racer. I mean, the, the mechanics are decent. The shifting、uh, makes sense compared to some other games where it's like weird shifting mechanics. And I think it all around, it's a pretty decent racer. I know the one I was playing, I was running into a bunch of issues with the image I was using, but I'm not sure if maybe that was you guys as well. When you drove in that game, did you have a sense of, like, any sort of sense of realism for physics or anything? Not really. There's, there wasn't really much of a realism. It just seemed like a, a fun game. I didn't really take it in as a simulation of racing. And that's why I really didn't consider it a really good sequel to Hang On, where it was trying to do something of that nature. Or at least try to make it more arcade y. What did you guys think of it? Did you, did you guys enjoy it? Do you guys hate it? What are your thoughts? I just seem to remember the controls being a little iffy. Some people would say if you're using the digital pad, you just have to hold up. So that it would like center or neutral the, the controls. And then you kind of had to like turn from the up position, holding the, holding the D pad up 
and then turn slightly to be able to kind of like flick your your bike left or right. But then I've, I've heard other people saying using the analog controller is the way to go. That that actually like makes it a lot better. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally I played it with the Japanese version controller, and it Just was very yeah the digital pad, and I thought it, I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, I noticed a lot with these racers a the recurrent theme where it hurt my fingers after a while using that D-pad. But mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I don't have an analog controller, so maybe that would have been better. But I mean, I'm judging it. I'm that's why I didn't really judge it based on those controls. So, but uh, overall, I liked it. I mean, did you guys? Were you guys feelings of it that you liked it? Did you not like it? For me, the truth is that I kind of passed it up in favor of Manx TT. Um, I can't, well, I did a disc burn of this one a while back and I was just kind of like turned off by the controls, you know, know, because I had already played Manx TT back in the day and I was kind of like expecting this to be kind of like its arcade counterpart or the original arcade, uh, which was a system 32 game, right? I'm thinking it was system 32, but it was, you know, it was just much more controllable in the arcade because you had that like analog bike that you'd be on you know so i just didn't find it very controllable on the saturn but i i definitely feel like i should probably give it another shot after hearing you talk about it yeah i mean it definitely wasn't the worst one i played uh that's that was reserved for a certain game based off an anime that uh (laughs) that you may or may not have played so so you would recommend this to me pat like if i was to pick it up for the collection you'd recommend it that's kind of hard. I mean, it wasn't a bad game, but I mean, it was it wasn't sort of anything that you you know. Oh, you got to get this now. It's like the best racer. It, it was fun for what it was. I mean, if you, if but I you rented found it, merit in it, if I rented it at Blockbuster, I wouldn't immediately return it. I guess is the best review I can give for it. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, if you really want it, I, I would get the Japanese version if you really need it physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you do. Was this released in America? I was kind of confused by that. Sure. Yeah. There's a yeah. long box copy. And I got gotcha. cool. Is I'm kind of. I've kind of been kind of dancing around the idea of getting it for a long time, but it's just one of those ones I've kind of put on the back burner because I just wasn't sure. And I yeah. guess I need to try it out again. Yeah, definitely. So I would. I would definitely give it a recommendation. Uh, at least trying it. Uh, I can't really recommend returning to the blockbuster because you might have some issues, but. Uh, that is, uh, that's probably your problem, not mine. <laughs> so what did you like more about Manx, Dave? Well, okay, so Manx is a game that I played back when I was a teenager, and um, it's good. It's a really good uh, arcade Sega, probably say it's the best motorcycle racing game on the Saturn. There aren't too many of those. Um, it was an AM3 game in the arcade, well, kind of like AM4, AM3 worked on it together, but it was ported by Tantalus. And, you know, Tantalus, I'm kind of iffy on, you know, they're they're decent. You know, they do decent ports. I always feel like they kind of miss the mark a little bit on things. But Manx is really solid. You know, it, coming over from the arcade, certain things are lost. But much like Sega Rally Championship, I feel like it, the controls are there, especially when you use the analog controller. Um, there's just so many degrees that you can lean into a turn. Um, taking, you know, jumps and going airborne with your bike feels great. Coming down feels great. You get a feeling of traction on the course. I mean, it's based on the Isle of Man tourist trophy. So you've got the, the regular TT course, which is like the professional difficulty. And then you got the, the beginner's course, the Laxi course, which was, you know, 
not so challenging, but I guess they, they, they pile a bunch of competitors on the track because it's like a beginner's course, right? So the challenge there is just kind of working your way around your competitors. The cool thing with the AI is the course is just as dangerous to them as it is to you. You'll actually see guys eat it and fall off their bike and you, you end up like crashing into them and stuff. Or you'll, you'll see them like getting back up on their bike. So little details like that are great. Um, so, you know, from a graphics standpoint, it's not as good as Sega Rally or Daytona in my opinion, but it's up there. It looks pretty good. The music is terrible. I'm sorry. Like that's where it's a it, it's shortfall really shows is that uh, Sega games should have awesome music. I feel that's like one of those things where it's just it ought to have excellent music by like Takanobu Mitsuyoshi or you know, um, one of the great composers that they usually bring in to do that kind of stuff, Richard Jocks or whatever, you know, but in this case, the music is just, I kind of like to turn it down because it's a little grating. I would say F1 probably has better music than Manx TT, but you know, last ability wise, it's, it's only got two tracks and you can play them in reverse. So that gives you like different racing lines, but, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Any, uh, takers on Manx? Um, my impression of it was I liked it more than Hang On GP. Um, Manx is more of an arcade feel where um, I got more of a simulation impression from Hang On, like Kay had mentioned. Um, mm. Something that I did notice when I was comparing the arcade original to the Saturn version is that the bike animation actually seems to have more frames. Um, I was comparing the two side by side. That's one of my things that I like to do is check out all the different versions and kind of try to spot the differences. Um, the bike animation is much more fluid and detailed on the Saturn version, despite mm-hmm. the overall graph fidelity being a little bit lesser. Yeah, and it's locked at 30 frames per second, so that's good. I would say they did a 85, 90%. They got there, but uh, it was a better port probably than Sega Touring Car, to be honest with you. As much as I love Sega Touring Car, you guys know how that's kind of like a guilty pleasure for me, but I think that this was a better port. And I mean, and that's saying something because Sega Touring Car was, uh, it was the AM Annex, but it was still an AM team in-house. So I feel like this probably came over better in the end. Definitely. Uh, did you have any uh, closing thoughts on the game, Dave? It's cheap and you guys should go buy it. Even if you're going to buy a long box copy, um, it can be had for 15 to 20 bucks sometimes even cheaper than that if you don't mind cracks and now with these new cases who cares right so grab yourself a u.s copy or grab yourself a japanese import copy it's cheap and it's worthwhile having in your collection i'll definitely be giving that a try dave thank you for that recommendation Mm -hmm. all right so uh let's move on to our next game uh virtual kyote one and two i know uh Kay was reformed uh, ready to talk about this title very excited um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> so I, I I played with uh, this. I, I was very interested because the descriptions I had read, without knowing anything about it, um, was that it was a uh, like a boat racing game, and I kind of imagined like hydroplane, um, you know, similar to uh, uh, like Hydro Thunder, you know, kind of a feel. Um, mm. And no. Um, <laughs> These are like, uh, they're like personal watercrafts, but they look like boats. Uh, look really, what one person like jet ski? Like, they, they look like one person speedboats. Huh. Um, and they move pretty quickly. Uh, so I, I played both the the first version of the game, you know, Virtual Kyote, and then I played Virtual Kyote Two, and 
Um, it, it has more of a simulation feel to it than just about anything else I've played on the Saturn as far as racers are concerned. Uh, and it was actually to the point where, um, like, I don't want to give anyone uh, an improper impression. This is not an English-friendly game uh, by any means. Uh, uh, once you get into a racing you know, uh, aspect, the racing is very easy to do. Um, but you, you have to pass a test of some sort, uh, giving the right answers um, before you can get to anything beyond like doing a single lap around something in the first game. Uh, so I thought that was kind of you know neat uh, aspect to it, um, like like they were giving you facts uh, and like, you had a multiple choice you know question, and I didn't know what the question was because my translator wasn't working on the CRT. <laughs> um, but oh, I, yeah, so through trial and error, I started getting the check marks. After about you know three four minutes of that, I said no, I'm just going to look for a time trial or something and just play with the actual uh, racing engine. Um, it felt physically pretty decent to me. Uh, this game, the, the first Virtual Kyote on Saturn, I believe came out about a two to three months after Wave Race 64 came out on the N64. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so if you kind of have like uh, an idea of that game, you know, hopefully everyone's played that because it's actually a really good game and I hate the N64. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but It's one of the few. Right, man, that six word is just not get love on this podcast. No, sorry, but um, it, it's kind of it gives you like the impression of I think of what they were trying to go for as far as um, like uh, the style of craft. You know, it's definitely not a jet ski, but in, in any case, um, turning in that game was really easy uh, and it felt natural and it felt physically correct. You know whether it was arcade or not, it the, the controls felt pretty solid to me. Um, but you really just go around in a circle, like Ben Hur. <laughs> like it's like, like a the pod race. <laughs> okay, guys, I, I got to tell you about my experience with this game. So I played this game for the first time last night at about three a.m. and I put it in and I struggled through the questions that Kay was talking about. And then I I played the first track and it was driving in a circle. I was like, okay, you know, this is like the first track. Um, Kind of getting used to the controls, right? So then I I go through like another section of translated text and struggling through that. And it's another, another track that's a circle. I'm like, huh. So I took that game out. I put in the second one and the track was a circle again. I'm like, (laughs) why, why is this game like... You know, I kind of went into it expecting, like, a Wave Race 64 or a Hydro Thunder. And um, I guess for what it is, um, like Kay said, the boats handle really great. But there's just not much there. You know, there's no wave physics to, you know, keep you interested that way. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's really more of a driving game. I mean, yeah, you're racing other people, but um, there's not much interest as far as track design. So the takeaway is... If you like NASCAR and you like boats, <laughs> don't forget if you like being confused if you don't speak Japanese as well. So I'm going to be honest, I tried playing this, put it in, and also there's a bunch of Japanese texts, and I was like, yeah, like I'm, 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 I'm not doing this. It, this is um, one of the more interesting of the games that I tested, only in that um, 
like the control scheme didn't follow from the first game to the second game. Like a different uh, button was accelerate, and um, that was a little off-putting when you're, you know, again driving around in a circle, right? Not not too much else to do. Um, but the the physics of the way that it drove was actually kind of interesting to me. And I don't know if Claire had this experience, but I was actually disqualified in one of my races because I didn't wait for the timer to indicate that I could go. And I went, false like, start. I did a false start, and it disqualified me from the race. And, and I've read some of the uh, the very few reviews. Um, this game came to my attention because of uh, David Kias had asked if I had known uh, of any images available for the first virtual uh, Kyote game. Um, I did eventually find it in uh, a recent um, redump upload. But that kind of piqued my interest. I was like, oh, boat racing. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's an interesting game, but um, I, I wouldn't waste a Tayo Yudin. Every once in a while, you find out about a Saturn game that like you've, for some reason, never heard of. And then you find out why you've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it was kind of the best this stage in Japan. Maybe if it was in English, maybe it would be a better game, but never It'd mind. Maybe NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, probably NASCAR. <laughs> Well, let's talk about a better racing game, Claire. Yeah, um, I'm ready to talk about my, actually, it's my favorite racing game of the 32-bit era, and that is Wipeout. Um, Wipeout came out on the PS1 originally, and then we saw a Saturn port about a year later. Um, The Saturn port was met with good reviews, but um, some people were pretty disappointed that it didn't really hold up graphically like the PlayStation version did which is understandable, but um, regardless, um, Wipeout, for me, out of everything on this list, is the absolute must-play. Its design is just stellar. Um, The designer's Republic, an English studio who has worked for, you know, clients from Coca-Cola to Sony to Cartoon Network, actually handled all of the designs in this game, so everything from the user interface to the craft design. Um, So, immediately whenever you start up Wipeout, you're met with futuristic, minimalistic, um, very marked aesthetic. So, basically, at its core, Wipeout is, um, it's a hovercraft racer that also includes um, some kart racing-like elements with um, weapons that you can use to take out your opponents. Um, As an anti-gravity racer, the physics are pretty interesting when it comes to controlling your craft. A lot of the steering is actually done with the shoulder buttons. Um, You have air brakes on your craft that you utilize to make turns. And um, it's certainly not a pick-up-and-play game because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, The float physics take a lot of getting used to. And, you know, had I not spent a lot of the time with this game back on the PlayStation when I was younger, I don't know how quickly I would have adapted if I had just played this game before the cast like I had many others. I have to say, though, that despite having some of those missing transparencies and um, a 20 frames per second um, run speed compared to the PS1's 30, I think that it's almost just as enjoyable as the PlayStation version. There's one little uh, thing that you're missing out that I think uh, is incredibly important, and is that the fantastic musical score... Yes. Yeah, but we didn't get we didn't get <laughs> Left Field or the Chemical Brothers right. or Orbital because they didn't get those licenses for the Sega version. So we got Cold Storage. 
My friend describes the Wipeout series as a fantastic soundtrack that has a game that comes with it. But is he talking about the Saturn version or the PlayStation version? Just all versions of it. I mean, the the entire the entire Wipeout series he feels is a soundtrack album mm. that also comes with a game. That the music is so good mm. that it's really an injustice it's not released on vinyl like these other games that are coming out. My biggest grievance with it was just those those cool tracks being missing. Definitely. Um, your friend's impression is definitely spot on, Pat. Um, this game was actually created to sort of appeal to fans of EDM and club goers. Um, it wasn't really marketed toward, you know, the usual racing crowd. It was marketed toward these um, players who might not normally be into racing games. And I think that's why it appeals to me so much, because... You know, I like a racing game here or there, but Wipeout is different for me. It, it's really just the overall presentation and the aesthetics that I love about it. Mm-hmm. And playing on the Saturn D-pad is, I think, feels better than... than. Uh, I mean, if you're just comparing when it came out on the PlayStation, that was pre-DualShock. You had the, the PlayStation's D-pad or you have the Saturn D-pad, and I think it feels better on the Saturn. And um, it definitely is challenging on the Saturn. The controls... I feel like it's a little bit of an added challenge playing it on the Saturn, which I enjoy. Um, if it wasn't just for the music thing, you know, but still the cold storage tracks are good. So Clara, how does it stack up next to Wipeout 2097? Well, Wipeout 2097, in my opinion, is an improvement over the original in almost every aspect. Um, the design only gets stronger. Um, you have the same number of tracks in each, but... I thought that the second game was more unique than the first. Um, I guess I should mention before I get too long, far along here is that um, Wipeout 2097 was a European and Japanese-only release for the Saturn. Um, we didn't see a Saturn version here. And there's a little bit of confusion with the name as well because it was released as Wipeout XL in Japan and... Um, also, on the PlayStation 1, it was released as Wipeout XL in North America. But all the same game, and um, the European version runs just fine on U.S. Saturns and Japanese Saturns. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. As far as it stacks up to the PS1 version, um, you know, you still have those same um, shortcomings with draw distance and a lot of pop-in. You still have the um, hindered frame rate on the Saturn version. But again, I have to say, um, my experience was not at all any lesser than it is on the PS1. I really, really enjoyed it. And maybe that's just because I'm playing it on my favorite console ever. But Wipeout 2097 is a must. The frame rate was a lot better though, right? Yeah, definitely. There's a marked improvement over the first game. Cool. Nice. So, uh, my big question, would you recommend people play, if they haven't played Wipeout, should they try the Wipeout on the PS1 first? Or should they go with the Saturn and then go to the PS1? You know, that that's hard for me because I love both consoles so much, but I've Well, that's why I put you on the spot. It's <laughs> fun to see you if, you, if you love the Saturn, then play the Saturn version. Seriously. Um, I mean, it's obvious that the PlayStation version is superior for you know the soundtrack as well as the um, graphics, but if you love the Saturn version, then give it a shot. Um, mm-hmm. I think it has a lot of charm. Claire, um, is there any difference if somebody's looking to pick it up? Would they be just as fine picking up the Japanese version, 
Uh, you said the European version runs fine. Would there be a reason to get that one over like the Japanese import? I've never played the import. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you have played the import, <laughs> just the European. Oh one. yeah, I've never right. played the Japanese version. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. And none of you guys have K, have you? I can't speak to. I don't know if there's like a language barrier with the with the Japanese version, but I mean it's Wipeout, right? So. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't believe it is. I haven't played the Japanese version. Um, what I can tell you um, is that Wipeout XL uh, tends to be about a, an eighty-plus dollar game. Uh, for the Japanese version. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's those yeah. Wipeout fans, man, the crazy people. But um, if somebody is going to choose between both of the Wipeout games to purchase for their Saturn, um, I think I'd recommend 2097 just because um, there's a lot of improvements in controls. The physics are quite different. Um, I think that the controls are a bit more forgiving, but um, collisions are a lot more punishing. Like, if you run into an opponent or you run into the wall it really slows you down in comparison to the first game. Um, Another big difference between the two is that weapons are much more significant in the second game. Um, Rather than just stalling you, if you get hit by somebody's missile, you're going to accumulate damage, and you can actually blow up and be removed from the race. So um, with the more aggressive AI in the second game, I think it's more challenging than the first and Claire, I, I always remember enjoying XL on the PS1 with the DualShock controller, and I'm curious, is there 3D analog control support for 2097? Yes, there is, and I think that um, it's a lot more enjoyable than the D-pad. I mean, the D-pad is great for the first game, but mm-hmm. I think it makes it that much better in 2097. Vroom, vroom. Cool. What do you got, Pat? Da- oh, that's all I get for a segue, Dave? <laughs> what do you got, Pat? Kiss, kiss. You got a dating sim? Wow. How condescending. How, how, what am I supposed how, to say? <laughs> wow. I am insulted tell beyond us about, Tell us about your shifts working at the Jiffy Lube. What, what, it, why you insult me so much? Uh, no. All right. So let me uh, talk about my game, which uh, was beyond interesting. So my game was a dating sim slash racing game called zero four champ doozy j type r and yes that's the full title and yes it is a mouthful so the first impression i got with this game was this long intro with cars racing and the 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 type r logo just popping up all over the screen for no apparent reason but just random stock footage of guys filling up cars and racing like like real life footage so i was beyond confused so I started the game off, and uh, it started me off as this kid racing this green-haired girl on this motorcycle. Uh, as you can tell, it's a dating sim, so I had zero clue what was going on. So the entire time, she was screaming Japanese at me, and I was just frightened and confused the entire time, as I had no clue what was going on, and, and nothing was making sense. So as I continued on, uh, I talked to this guy on the dock about something... And I got sent to my room for, for some reason. I don't, I don't know why I was in my hotel room. Listen, this was all in Japanese, and what I tried to translate didn't work well. So I'm play- I was playing this straight. Uh, the entire time, I was like, where's the racing? Or where's the racing? Where's the racing? Uh, I tried my hardest to click the A button to get through all this text. And uh, something magical happened. I met a guy 
at the uh, San Francisco Bridge, and we were talking for a bit, and I didn't really know what they said, so more screaming at me in Japanese, so I talked to them a little bit more, and I got their number, and it turned out that that guy was a girl. I uh, didn't know that initially, because the design, the way that the character looked, it looked very, a very masculine-like character. Uh, there was no really indication or voice to determine what type of gender the character was, or to make sense through anything in the text. But I ended up meeting another person that was this uh, this girl at this att- this gas station attendant with these, you know, the gla- the the glasses where they have the light over the eyes, sort of that sort of girl. And I don't know what she said. I just talked to her and I left. And I ended up going on a date with the uh, the motorcycle where I met the. Uh, uh, the, the girl I met at the uh, San Francisco Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge. And we walked around town a little bit. We went back to the hotel room. Um, we did some racing. Uh, but essentially, I was just more confused. I had no idea what was going on. And when I finally got to the racing, it was a really weird mechanic where the shifting was uh, essentially you hold... It was basically a straight line like a, a drag race where you hold down the drive button and you shift by holding down the A button and making the gear shift movements with the D-pad. Now, I know this sounds really rambly and confusing because I'm just trying to give you the experience that I went through. Basically, all there was was Japanese text all across the screen. Uh, I did find out what the the girl's name that I dated was, though. Her name was uh, Riley Jefferson. I don't know why her name was Riley Jefferson. I don't know what she was doing, she was doing on the bridge, but uh, we had a good time, and I would definitely like to take her out on another date, given I learned Japanese and can get through the game. But essentially, I, I learned a lot. I had a really good time, and uh, I, it, was, it was a good game. And by good game, I mean I didn't understand what the hell was happening or what was going on. Uh, I guess I can basically describe it as a more boring police knots, because that's essentially how it felt with that anime style. Wait, what are you saying about police? <laughs> more boring. <laughs> I'm not like like it was that same style, you know, the cutscenes were like anime esque, and yeah. they have the lips move or something happening. I gotcha. In short animation, like that. And groping and stuff. <laughs> no, no, there was no, no. I was very respectful. When, when did you get to meet her parents? I'm just after you learned how to shift in reverse. <laughs> I. I Okay, you you guys went back to the hotel and did some racing. <laughs> I I don't know. This game was really confusing, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought it would be more fun. Hard. I don't know. Uh, everything was so confusing. I didn't know the character was a woman until like until I got back. To- oh God, no! This is just sounding worse. I'm sorry, guys. And you met her in San Francisco. No. <laughs> What's going on? This game was so confusing. Uh, oh my god. I'm How gonna get the so much hate mail. This is gonna get so much hate mail. I'm sorry guys. <laughs> I just want I just wanted to do some racing and everything. I wanna everything play this game confusing. now, honestly. Please do. That's <laughs> I essentially gave you my experience. It was you know so what's confusing. funny is this is one of those games that pops up when, when you're on eBay and you're sorting like Sega Saturn, low to high. It's like on the very bottom, like cheap budget bin, you know. It's like one of the first games that pops up, so it's super easy to come by. I mean, I really want to continue, but 
I set my schedule to racing every day, and I must have done like five drag races in a row with confusing drag? shifting mechanics. Yeah, drag racing, like a hundred meter dash with the dude. Well, no, it was a girl. Oh, the, oh, okay, you said it was a drag. Ra- Never mind. Wow, Dave, we're we're getting banned from iTunes thanks to you. <laughs> So it it appears as though this Zero Four Champ series, um, there's a whole bunch of games that came out in it starting in 1991 for the PC Engine. Um, I haven't had a chance to check any of these out myself, but um, it looks like there are about um, eight or nine releases in this series, and I'm wondering if they're all dating sims like you're describing. Are any of them like in English? Are they all Japanese? No, it looks like they're all Japanese. Yeah, I mean, did you guys... I'm going to take a guess and guess you guys did not play this one for obvious reasons. I want to now. <laughs> it sounds interesting. I kind of do too, actually. Yeah. No, I <laughs> mean, dating sounds oh, more popular in, in America. We didn't get Sakura Wars, you know? We didn't get... How many other dating sims were there? Crazy ton. But I kind of want to play this for anime stream now. I kind of want you to play it for anime stream. I'd love to see it. Okay, well, I, this is definitely going to be in a one-off. No, actually, no. I'm going to see how far I can get because I was just confused. I just want to see how confused I can get, like, not even translating anything. But, yeah, uh, essentially, I guess for closing notes, uh, my closing thoughts on it, uh, she was a very nice lady. Uh, <laughs> she was a good racer. And, uh, yeah, I would not mind going on more dates with her. Uh, yeah, so, uh, let's, uh, with that confusing mess, why don't we move on to a game that's less confusing and less shattering of my self-esteem, which is Cyber Speedway and Road Rash. So, I only wanted to touch on Cyber Speedway very briefly. Um, it was, uh, Dave, it was Grand Tracer, right, in Japan? Yes, Grand Chaser. Um... This guy, this this game, uh, I kind of got turned on to because of a kind of a rare um, Saturn-related uh, audio CD. Uh, it was a radio promo um, for the Bygone Dogs, who did the soundtrack for the U.S. version, uh, known as Cyber Speedway. Um, I picked it up uh, not too long ago uh, on eBay, and um, you know, it kind of reminded me a lot of you know youth my mid-90s alternative uh, uh music that i i really enjoyed back then um i gotta say it's jarring in this game like <laughs> the the racing um aspect of everything feels fantastic to me i actually spent a lot of time with this one but that soundtrack just doesn't fit and you, you almost have like the sense that they were pushing too hard to try and promote this band which is actually what happened. I believe it's the first uh, Sega label um, where they they signed a band up and tried to uh, uh, you know tried to promote uh, this band and got them on a, a bunch of different compilations. So yeah, the game itself feels great to me. It was the best of the ones I got to play, and the voice acting is cheesy. <laughs> There's a, a storyline mode behind it. Uh, I felt the rockets um, were useless uh, in this game. I, I didn't figure out... Um, I, I could fire them, but I didn't figure out what effect they were having on anything. Maybe I'm just that bad at aiming. Um, but it was fun. Uh, 
And I tried a couple of these racing games. You know, this blows Virtual Kyote's circle out of the water. Anyone else get to play that one? Cyber Speedway? Yeah, Cyber Speedway. Yeah, it's, you know, my impression of it was that it was always kind of a wipeout clone uh, because of the futuristic hovering craft mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it definitely doesn't, once you start playing it, and I don't feel like it's as good as Wipeout. Um, but then again, it's got wider tracks, and it also doesn't, once you get into it, the physics, it feels different enough that you feel like you're really playing a different game. And and the and the, the craft that you're in, it kind of just kind of does this like wobbly kind of hovering thing over the ground, like it looks a little volatile. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we were talking about this before, the Cast K, but it has like these pulse jets or so, or uh, what did you call it? the booster the boost it goes <laughs> kind of like knocks you back on track like if you're if you are getting too close to the edge and you hit like the shoulder button it like boosts you in the opposite direction kind of so you can kind of like avoid obstacles that way but it's a little jarring or at least it took took some getting used to for me but i liked it i agree with you about the music not fitting um, it just sounds kind of like a Chili Peppers kind of band or something, you know, and it's just so weird, you know, with a yeah. futuristic racer. And it sounded like it would, um, I think you made the comment that it, it would uh, sound pretty good like in X Games um, yeah. or you know, just something with a little bit more modern edge to that whole thing, um, but not futuristic. It, it didn't, it, yeah, I don't know if maybe it's typecasting, but I almost expect like a techno kind of sound to come out of a futuristic racer sure something mm-hmm. like you know, a, a driving beat and a lot of electronica but yeah. just it when it loops it's especially jarring now grand chaser does have a different soundtrack which is why i typically prefer it because the the japanese version has mm-hmm. a you know it's forgettable but it is more uh, conventional anybody else uh, claire pat you guys play that Actually, I was too busy trying to get better at dating to play really anything else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, Cyber Speedway came out around the same time that Wipeout did. And it was met with a lot of mixed reviews because people compared the two and said, you know, this is just a cheap um, Wipeout clone. You know, Wipeout's much better in its design and its handling and all these things. But, you know, when I play the two of them side by side... Um, which I kind of did. I played one right after the other today. I think that Cyber Speedway has its own merits with that unique boosting system that you used to turn. Um, what was your impression of it, Kay? Did you think that um, Cyber Speedway is, you know, worth playing on its own? You know, I, I did play some Wipeout um, a long, long time ago, and I dropped it in, you know, this evening trying to have a little bit of a refresher. Um and I can definitely say I like the music from Wipeout better than what I was listening to. It, it felt more appropriate. But I, I spent at least an hour um, blowing through the simple mode and was starting on the advanced mode. And um, I can't say it felt very challenging, but it felt satisfying. And that's, you know, I, out of all the racers that I got to play um, in the last week or so to you know, prepare for this, this is the one that I have to felt. Uh, I I really just enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and it's cheap, right? I mean, it's a really yeah. affordable game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's one that you see at conventions or you know used game stores a lot. And I like a lot of these titles. They're you know essentially they're sports games. You, know, you kind of 
toss them to the side unless they're something magical about them. But I didn't find anything I hated. You know, even the really cheesy uh, cutscenes and you know, voiceovers had a, a little bit of charm to it. I have to say, though, that it is uh, it pales in comparison to my favorite racing game on the Saturn, um, which is Road Rash. Like, for two-wheeled racing, mm. nothing for me is better than, you know, coming up alongside one of my fellow bikers and bashing him over the head, you know, with my, my fist or kicking him off of his bike. What's uh, the point of racing like, if you can't do that? <laughs> right. Um, no, we took a lot of time with the previous one, but I, I almost feel like Road Rash is kind of beyond needing to talk about it. It's almost like a, a universal phenomenon, even though they didn't really do well with later iterations of the game and, you know, the series, Road Rash kind of, for me, stands, I would say, almost head and shoulders above any other motorcycle game simply because of its soundtrack. The clay mechanics are, are fun, even if a little stiff. Um, it's, you know, been there through a bunch of different uh, consoles. And as simple as it looks, as simple as it you know, really is, um, it's more satisfying you know gameplay for me personally um than just about any other racer that i've played on the saturn that was ea right i would i'm gonna have to look that up but i agree with you man it's just yeah it is ea classic classic okay so classic ea in the mid 90s when they were like on top of their game and it comes blasting in with like Soundgarden's rusty cage right on the right at the beginning mm-hmm. and then it just gets your blonde pumping and you and it's got these like really good FMV sequences that are kind of over the top, but like um, give you something to like you know you want to go out and make some money and impress the girls and you know hang out at the bar and stuff. And it kind of make creates an atmosphere. That's what I felt like that game created such an atmosphere. And then just the racing was awesome. What do you say though, Kay, to the the people who claim that the 3DO version is better? They're probably right. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to be a because I I've now gotten to play um, the 3DO version um, since I've played the Saturn version. Um, the the copy that I picked up locally uh, actually had some pretty nasty data holes in it, and it wouldn't read. So I couldn't you know even play it when I did get it like six months ago. Mm. Um, I've been a, a diehard fan of the Saturn version uh, for a very long time, um, but. I have come to recognize the 3DO's abilities um, to be a good game console and have good control. And this is one where my only memory of the 3DO version is that it, it played very, very well. Um, mm. It had the, you know that good soundtrack, good graphics for its time, and it, it's one of those things where I need to play the 3DO version in a modern setting um, because I'm just so used to the Saturn one. 3DO has some filters that it applies to make things look smoother or something. You know, it might. The really sad thing for me is that as much as I, you know, do love the the Saturn version, they really um, missed an opportunity by not allowing you to hear the soundtrack while racing. Oh, right. And the Sega CD version does actually have, you know, the licensed music playing during the races. We got to patch that. I know, right? I mean, I mean, we're able to add English into Lunar. I mean, uh, sorry, add the add the Japanese voices into uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine how hard that must be to add music to something like that. It's your friend Cyber Warrior X. <laughs> yeah, make this a priority. Whatever he's doing, just cancel it, you know? 
We gotta get Road Rash. The music's already in there, right? You just have to... I think it has something to do with the way that the um, the executable uh, calls out you know, to the audio tracks. I um, I remember reading about it uh, maybe about a year ago, because uh, this is about the time when uh, Chris Cornell was found. And um, you know, at the time, uh, I, I was really you know, personally affected literally the, the night that, that happened I was coming back from Seattle with a printer um, you know to do some uh, repro work and uh, they made the announcement of it while I was you know it, on the drive home um, and I wanted to do kind of like a repro you know collection of all the different versions of road rash uh, you know across various optical media uh, you know platforms and that's where I discovered you know first started seeing evidence of my, uh, I would say, rose-colored glasses for the Saturn version. You know, it still plays fantastically. I still love it. It's still my favorite racer on the Saturn. But it's marred by not allowing you to, you know, play that licensed soundtrack. And uh, there's a, a lot of people who will, you know, because I'm a Saturn fanboy, I'm quick to defend the Saturn, and I don't have much in the way of evidence to support uh, why I feel the Saturn version was better than the 3do version it does so, play really well though it does it does and i don't want to take anything away from that saturn version but i i recognize my bias and i have to i see that there's a lot of opinion going towards the 3do version well you know what we'll do until we get a patch just grab your 90s boom box <laughs> pop in some <laughs> sound garden and then when it says three two one start you just hit play <laughs> Particularly started off a spoon man though. Kickstand. There you Ooh, go. Kickstand. Never mind. My idea was stupid. Do that one, Kay. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm gonna be honest. I think every game should be required to start with Soundgarden, as it probably is gonna make it 20 times more awesome. But I might be a little bit biased though. Could. <laughs> that was definitely one of the highlights of that game. I don't think it would be the same without it. But uh, it's such an awesome game. I was so happy when I finally picked it up. Because uh, it, for me, it was kind of like one of those not backburner titles, but it just wasn't like high priority. And then when I got it and I popped it in, I was like, holy hell, this is like way better than a lot of the other crap I've been picking up, you know? It, I just forgot how good it was. Yeah, did you guys uh, have any closing notes on Road Rash? How, how much is it? Is it is that one of those ones where you want to pick up the import or is it fairly affordable on domestic? Let's do a quick check. eBay away. Yeah, it's like 20 bucks disc only. Oh. Yeah, okay. It's really not so, that bad. I gotcha. So, uh... 30 bucks complete. Good one to add to the collection, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Good game. Want to move on to Scorcher, is it? Hell yeah. So, Scorcher is a weird title. Um, <clears throat> it's a very interesting title, too, because it actually started back on the 32x this little uh well first of all let's start with the production company scavenger they were a production house that had a a few small teams that were pulled directly from the amiga hacking and demo scene um one from la called lemon one from denmark i believe it was i believe it was denmark uh called xyrinx and uh, Xyrinx, in particular, they uh, developed this demo for the 32X. It was mind-boggling, uh, considering what the 32X was capable of. It was 
really nice showpiece. And, um, it, you know, it was designed for those twin Hitachis. Um, and then later, you know, they, they moved over to Boston and um, continued development, but the 32X got axed, so they continued development for a Saturn version. And they made it even better. They designed a graphics racing engine that uh, could push more polygons than most third-party developed games like Tomb Raider or, uh, you know, just what have you. It, it pushed a lot of polygons on the Saturn. Not only that, it locked 30 frames per second. It had special clipping effects that would hide pop-up even better than stuff like Sonic R that used, like, transparencies. It would use a lot of, like, really interesting effects, including, like, light sourcing, um, a la lobotomy games, you know, like Quake. It would use the same kind of light sourcing effects. Amazing texture maps. So this thing was a graphics showpiece on the Saturn. And then pair that with the fact that they got Jesper Kidd to compose the soundtrack. Um, what you had was a lot of magazines and industry, um, you know, pundits who were waiting with anticipation of a game that they were expecting to be, you know, great. They were expecting it to be like this, the next big racing game on the, on the Saturn. However, end of the day, the controls leave a little bit to, to be desired. It does, you're, you're kind of like on a bike, on a hover bike, but you're kind of inside like this ball, this force field ball. And so basically, you're, if you're touching the ground at all, it's at one single point. So you have a similar control mechanic to say like Sonic R or I don't know, some of the squirrelier racing games out there where you kind of, turning is kind of a chore. And so you have to, you're basically aided by the shoulder buttons to turn. But there's also like some platforming elements where you're jumping from one part of the racetrack to another and it kind of just gets a little confusing. And uh, I think some people are kind of turned off immediately by just like the difficulty in the controls. And then also the fact that everything kind of looks dystopian and dirty and muted colors and all the tracks kind of have the same kind of vibe. I would say. So I, I think it's a case of missed potential because it it was a game that was built on a graphics engine, basically, to show what the Saturn was capable of. But they really didn't have a whole lot of like game design chops in terms of like actually making these tracks interest, interesting and actually giving this game last ability. What do you think, Kay? I know you played it. Yeah, I played it for a bit today. Um, you know, I have a, an interest in it specifically for a completely oddball reason that I'll get into in a little bit. But the gameplay, it felt kind of sluggish uh, to me a little bit. Um, when I went into a practice mode and I started messing around with the different buttons and you know, figuring out how to use the lean mechanic with the um, left and right shoulders and... Uh, after I played around the track maybe once or twice with that, I went ahead and held down all three buttons, A, B, and C, and just kind of became like a little jumping bean. Um, my bike um, force field ball thing was bouncing all over the track, and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, it kind of is. It's oddball. It, it, it didn't feel like maybe like the camera was delayed by, um, I, I don't know, like, like a, a half a second or something in keeping up with where you were I, I could forgive a lot of that but what was kind of almost unforgivable you know as as pretty graphically as it was you know 
you're right about the dystopian um, environments and the muted color palette. Uh, the other thing, though, there was load time if you wanted to pause. How, why does it take you know a, a good ten seconds to load up um, you know a menu with options you know, during the pause menu? Oh, is that what they did? It, it was. See, I can't even remember that. I haven't popped in in a while. But uh, so you're saying you, you'd hit start and it would bring up a menu that would require a... like it wouldn't. It wasn't that it brought up the menu immediately. The, the screen just kind of stayed there, you know, for ten to fifteen seconds, and then the menu would appear. Oh my god! And so imagine that in reverse when you're unpausing the game. Because it took the same amount of time to, I guess, reload the, the track and the level that you were in at the same position where you were. There's something really unorthodox going on under the hood with this game. I, you know, the, the same thing could be said of Amok, which was Lemons. That was like a voxel-based engine. But these things are like proof-of-concept engines that are kind of doing strange things with the hardware that are not mm-hmm. really conventional. So I guess that doesn't surprise me. It makes me wonder why they just didn't make a basic rendered menu with just like a little tiny overlay instead of a giant menu that pops up. I mean, you'd think after testing it, yeah, I mean, it's 10, 15 seconds to unpause it. Maybe just render over a little menu, like a little overlay and stop the gameplay. I mean, you could probably accomplish the same thing doing that and load it in like half a millisecond. I have to say this game was in the works for so long um, I get the impression that between the between the 32x getting axed and then them moving development over to a different platform, and then them as a company moving over to the United States and getting their green cards or whatever and setting up shop in Boston and stuff, and then the Saturn's uh, death kind of looming over the horizon, they were just trying to kick this final product out and make some money on it. Um, I do kind of feel like it's unfinished. Um, it has that feeling to it. Definitely. Uh, and one of the things I thought was interesting is the the release of the game. I mean, it did come out in America and Europe, correct? Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently in Japan, I mean, it's. I mean, it came out, but it's extremely rare. It has that- a very Western vibe, though. I'm not so sure that it would have gone over well in Japan. So the interesting thing about Scorcher um, and that I alluded to earlier is that there's some question as to whether or not the game was actually released or not. Uh, it has a serial number, uh, T-8128G, and if you look that uh, product number or serial number up on Satakore, um, you will find that this is considered one of the rarest releases, the Japanese version of Scorcher. I have seen it on eBay within the last 12 months, and it's the only time I've ever seen it on eBay, you know, period. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it has its front cover manual. The disc has, was uh, silk screen printed. Um, it's got the, the backing and everything, and you can't find it anywhere. Um, even the Redump community, uh, Fireball, has been in contact with the current owner, I'm trying to see if we can get a dump of it for the redump project, and you can't find it, you can't see it. Um, one known copy, maybe two. So, I mean, this this is the the potential will be even more rare than uh, maybe Eiffel Home or something, if that's the case, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite possible that this might even be more rare than um, the limited edition 
uh, of D. So you're telling me that the version that's out there, the copy that's out there, is like a ready for store shelves copy. Like for all intents and purposes, it it looks like a production run copy. And yet that's the only one known to existence. That's the only one that I've seen. It's the only one that um, I think anyone has seen. Tadakori has um, a picture of the cover uh, from it that it, it doesn't look like the one that, uh, or it doesn't look like it's the same photo as the uh, one that was on eBay um, mm. this, you know, last year. But uh, yeah, you know, and we're gonna have a talk about holy grails and you know, incredibly rare, like not only obscure but like that exists, kind of a a game uh, in another cast. But it's not the first time that we've seen something like this, you know, where um, the uh, publishers um, went through the trouble of creating, you know, manuals, cover art, back art, that sort of thing uh, for a game and then having it still get canceled. I don't think anyone knows the story uh, fully about Scorcher, but we do know that it does exist. Really weird. And maybe hopefully one day we'll find it in a some missing crate of Sega Saturn games or something in some warehouse in Japan. Be definitely uh, kind of interesting. I gotcha. So uh, now that we visit the world of Scorcher, why don't we talk about probably the most infamous racer on the Saturn that I imagine almost every Saturn owner has in some way or form played, which is, of course, Sonic R. Now, I know this game needs really no introduction. It's essentially a mostly foot racing game with Sonic characters in it. So... The Sonic, Amy, Tails, and it's a really interesting game with a fantastic soundtrack. Now, uh, did you guys really pick this up when it first came out? I'm kind of interested to see what you guys thought playing it on initial release. Yeah, you know, this was one that I didn't play when it first came out, but um, I was in a, like a 3D animation class with um, some friends in high school, like my senior year of high school, and... Uh, one of my friends, he was already onto the Xbox. Like the Xbox had it was either being released or just had been released, and so he had his hands full. And I knew he was a Saturn fan, and I was like, "Hey, can I borrow that that copy of Sonic R that you have?" And um, <clears throat> he was a huge Sonic fan, so I'm surprised he let me borrow it. But anyway, he gave it to me disc only, and you know, I brought it home, and my initial impressions were just like, "I want to love this so much," but wow the controls are just like hard to get used to like honestly i had a hard time staying on the track at all you know i kept falling off the sides and i kept doing like the little trip drift thing where where sonic would just kind of like stumble and i was just like why can't i control this game like i feel like i'm just like i ended up throwing the controller you know dave smash (laughs) and you know, I kind of I persisted with it a little bit back then just because I wanted to love it so much. And you're absolutely right. Um, that soundtrack by Richard Jacques, uh, recorded at Metropolis Studios, um, was infamous for me. I mean, it was just a, an amazing soundtrack. So I ended up listening to that soundtrack sub- in subsequent years more than I actually played the game. Um, you know, he got this British singer, TJ Davis, to sing Supersonic Racing. It was the one track she was supposed to sing, but Yuji Naka came into the studio and he loved her so much and he loved the track so much that he begged her to do the rest of the soundtrack. So then Richard Jacques basically wrote up lyrics to like all these other songs 
and you know they're very trite they're very uh, cringeworthy at times but very very optimistic and very dripping with that sega you know charm and so she recorded all those tracks she also recorded a couple tracks that would be on metropolis street racer at that that studio session but wow just, really yeah Which- so awesome soundtrack we can all agree i think you know some people wouldn't agree okay they they actually had an option in the the settings to turn the voice off because some people just found it twee or cute or whatever you know so they can play instrumental versions of that then you can do the instrumental versions which is you know they're good it's really good music um but yeah i don't know i want to get claire in on this i know she has lots of feelings about this game I sure do. Um, I was talking about Sonic R with Morgan from the Junkyard about a week ago, and she was asking my opinion on it, and I said, if I had to describe my feelings on Sonic R in one word, it'd be, I think it is wholesome. I absolutely love the soundtrack. I think it's really cute. Um, I know that's why a lot of people don't like it, but my initial experience was a lot like yours, Dave. Um, I picked this up. It was one of the first games that I played when I got my Saturn, And I was just like you. I wanted to love it, but I could not for the life of me stay on the track. And it wasn't long before I took that disc right out of my Saturn and I put it into the CD player in my car. And that is where I got the most use out of Sonic R for a long, long time. And it wasn't really until I had the chance to sit down and dedicate some time to figuring out, you know, not only the controls, but... The level design is interesting because nothing is straightforward. It's very much kind of choose your own path. So once I kind of, you know, sat down and figured out what I was doing and put the time in, I thought it was a really enjoyable experience. Absolutely. Sonic Team designed those courses and they gave a lot of uh, advice and, you know, consulting to Traveler's Tales, who did the actual coding for the game. And they did some really clever stuff, too. They developed a transparency engine that could kind of hide pop-up in the game and and really, really beautiful, lush, sharp textures. I really love the texture work in this game and the 3D models and everything. It's a, it is a showcase for the Saturn. Definitely shuts a lot of people up who were naysayers that, the, you know, the Saturn can't do good 3D. Um, But yeah, but Sonic Team, they deliberately and intelligently and purposely designed these tracks the way that they are. And one day it just clicked to me that I was like, I find it odd that I can't ever stay on the track. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to just go with that. I'm going to just not stay on the track. I'm going to go everywhere else but the track. And then I had this epiphany where I realized that when you go through it, when you take the shortcut, you're already wanting to like drift off the track that way. And instead, if you just go with it and you go through the little village and then you chain, you basically, um, I'm going to make a Knights reference, but it's kind of like chaining or linking combos, you know? When you chain one shortcut to another shortcut to another shortcut, all of a sudden you realize that your lines are so smooth and that uh, and that you're actually racing a lot more conventionally like you should you know um the actual course the actual track you're not meant to stay on that you know i mean you can but you're missing the point because what they did is they put all these wonderful little they put chaos emeralds hidden behind doors that you have to get rings to be able to open and then they also put sonic coins on the track that when you collect all the 
you know, strategically placed Sonic coins, then you're able to have a one-on-one race with an unlockable character like Metal Sonic or Metal Knuckles, you know, to give the game more replayability. And um, I'm sure that you found the same thing, Claire, but it's just all of a sudden this game opens up and you realize that this was so much better of a game than I ever gave it credit for, than I ever realized. And I had these kind of like, some people say rose-colored glasses. Well, I had kind of like the opposite of that. All I wanted was Sonic Extreme, and they weren't giving it to me. I wanted a traditional, like, whatever, my mind couldn't conceive at the time, but I wanted like a traditional platformer or something that resembled a Sonic game. And they gave us a great Sonic game, and we didn't appreciate it at the time because a lot of us just could not get past the initial impressions. Right, and... Even more so when you're actually looking at the environments and realizing exactly what it is that the Saturn's pulling off. Um, You mentioned 12 layer transparencies, as they called them, that, you Mm -hmm. know, allow things to render in the way that they did. But we also have um, that really cool transparency trick on the Radiant Emerald track where, you know, it looks as if that entire thing, you know, you can see right through it into the background. Oh, yes. And um, I also want to mention those reflections on Sonic's head in the loading screens, as mm-hmm. well as the R logo on the title screen. That is just so cool. Um, I believe that they made like a specific software engine to render those, right? They sure did. There's this brilliant coder on YouTube. Go check out his channel. It's called Game Hut. And he did some crazy things that took... I mean, this guy just loved to code. He did Sonic 3D Blast on the Genesis. And he uh, posted videos of how he was able to get that FMV cutscene into the beginning of the game. Even though the Genesis should by no means have been able to do that. And a lot of his videos are uh, are basically um, showing off how he was able to get the Genesis and the Saturn to do things that it just like was not supposed to be able to do. So I love his videos and he worked on this game and I believe he was responsible for a lot of that coding genius. And he also has videos of the high res versions of the tracks like in Softimage. So those are cool to look at, uh, like exploded in, in like a in like a 3D application view, you know. But you're absolutely right. That uh, Radiant Emerald track is so much better, in my opinion, than Rainbow Road. What do you think, Claire? Yeah, I've got to agree with you. I mean, just the visuals on that track are so stunning. And there is a PC port. There are actually two PC ports of Sonic R. There was one that was released in 1998 and an updated version that was released in 2004. And whenever you play those ports, you can really just tell that Sonic R was a game made for the Sega Saturn. Um, Those tricks that were used in the Saturn version that give it that characteristic look are missing from those PC ports. You know what else is missing from those PC ports? The music. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first uh, PC port for it did not have the music. Uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine because I actually, that's the first time I played it was on a... I think it was the Sega Sega Smash Collection or Sonic Gems. So, Sonic Gems Collection, yeah, on the GameCube PC or PS2 or something. Well, no, not that one. It was it. on the PC. It was a I can't remember. I think it was on the the Sonic some Smash Sonic, Sonic Collection. Okay. I can't remember what the PC version was off the top of my head, but uh, my friend and I were talking about that, and I never remember the music, and he let me know. I was like, yeah, there, there was no music ever on that version. So like, are you kidding me? 
Yeah, so, the, a lot of the runs online that you see, like on YouTube, like 90% of the runs on YouTube are the Sonic Gems collection version, like from the GameCube or the PS2, which is actually a port of the PC version. And I have to say, you cannot care, you cannot compare the Saturn version to those, at least from like a speedrunning or like times uh, point of view, because the the collision detection is different. And so they're pulling down like 10 seconds off their time. I, it's impossible. Like I can't do what they're doing because the, the versions are actually different, essentially. It the, seems the, to me like the collision detection is more forgiving in the PC version. I feel like the is. Saturn version is much you know, more yeah, difficult to contend with. Exactly. The PS2 or the PC or the GameCube versions um, are easier games to play. So you get a lot of like really crazy times on those but if you're playing the og you know saturn version it's definitely a challenge a bit more of a challenge but you can still get some great times i think brian the virtual schlub over at the junkyard (laughs) has got to have the best times that i've seen you know so far uh him and dean you know are going at it but lots of fun this game is just it's so much fun and i just wonder like if it really deserved like the hate that it got well i mean i i definitely don't think that it did you know but i think that um you know kind of like knights and i said this in my video that i put up and i'll say this again is that you know games like knights games like shenmue you know uh sega would just put out these innovative or different games and just kind of expect its fans to kind of bear with it and 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 go with it but it would never tell you exactly like this is what this is instead you know it wouldn't they wouldn't hold your hand and tell you all about the a life system i mean they'd put like a little blurb about it in the manual and then it kind of expect you to just find out for yourself you know and that's kind of how i feel like with sonic r is that it's just like a lot of it is just hiding beneath the surface you know waiting for you to kind of explore and find it out for yourself yeah that's a good evaluation um it's a game that you kind of get out of it what you put in, in my opinion. It's not a game that's just going to reveal itself to you on first play. You have to spend a little time with it. Um, have some patience. Patience is key. Mm-hmm. So do we have any uh, closing thoughts on Sonic R? Uh, anyone want to say anything about it? I just agree with Claire that it's wholesome and that it's uh, endlessly optimistic. And it reminds me of a different Sega. You know, uh, It reminds me of the Sega of my youth. The one that took risks. The one that took risks. The one that wasn't afraid to be cheesy. You know, I mean, Sega's still cheesy. They still do. Like, Sonic Boom. That is incredibly cheesy. (laughs) Hey, that's a great cartoon. Don't be dissing. No, they're still cheesy, but not in the same way. Not in the kind of, like, almost trite, but, like, proud of it kind of way. I mean, Knights was incredibly wholesome and cheesy as well. And that's what I loved about it, you know? Um I, I that's the Sega I miss, you know. All right, so uh, let's move on to our final game of the night, which I think is a really incredible game and probably one of the top favorites on the list of, in my opinion, and that would be Delastoba Deluxe. And I know, uh, I know, until recently, this game has been incredibly difficult to even play, but thanks to the hard work of K, I mean, a lot of people are able to play this game again. So, I mean, before we even start this, I want to thank Kay for all his hard work and uh, ripping this, because now all these people are able to play it again when it was stuck in the clutches of uh, of collectors that didn't really want to allow people to play it 
Uh, so uh, I'll let you, UK take it from here as you have really great analysis and view on this game. Yeah, uh, De La Soba Deluxe. Uh, a little bit of history. Uh, there was a show in Japan called Tokyo Friend Park, and they would have uh, like the equivalent of, I guess, celebrities um, play some games. Uh, if you guys ever watched Nickelodeon in like the late 80s and early 90s, things like... Um, you know, Nickelodeon Arcade, where they had the uh, kids and contestants go up in front of a, like a green screen and kind of bat at things. Uh, it, w- it was something like that, you know, just almost like people being superimposed onto a game. But um, the premise of Della Soba, you know, one of the games that they played on this show, um, was that the celebrities would get on the simulation of a bike, kind of like Hang On, and uh, deliver yakisoba noodles to the studio. Um, it started to look a little dated and uh, the uh, company that made the show asked Sega to um, update the program, you know, update the game. And uh, that's where the first real interesting thing about Della Sopa kind of comes into play. Uh, it's developed by Cave, mostly known for their schmucks. Wow. That's amazing. I, I never knew anything about that. That's great. So as I understand it, um, this game was given away as a promotional item um, for the show. Is that right, Kay? Yeah. Um, there's no uh, definitive like evidence or you know hard proof about how many are out there. Um, the uh, general consensus is that there's 200 or less, um, about as many as it would be um, to give like you know a studio audience for one or two tapings you know, potentially. Um, but there's there's nothing to you know tell anybody how many are actually out there and uh it makes it uh, because this was a, a promotional disc um one of the more well-known uh, of the holy grails um this is part of what the japanese holy trinity uh which included uh de la Soba deluxe um oregon and basic eiffel home and heim waltz so um claire i know that you got to play this what was your impression of the game I did. Um, it's a lot of fun. I like it a lot. Um, super quirky, super weird. Um, my favorite thing is running into the cows that cross the road. So as you're, you know, navigating your little um, bike or moped to deliver these noodles, there's various obstacles that'll come out at you. And it's anything from like cows to this giant like gorilla in a truck that throws banana peels out at you like Mario Kart style. And you have to avoid all of these obstacles as well as traffic. Um, to deliver the noodles to the studio. It's just really quirky, and I had a great time with it. Um, My family was actually in the room as I was playing, and they were laughing about it with me, so it's a great time. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I played a little bit, and it really gave me a WarioWare vibe to it. I don't know if maybe you guys felt it as well, but I thought it was was a ton of fun. Uh, I sucked at it. I, I was awful at it, but... It was uh, definitely a unique game, and uh, I think one of the coolest things, I didn't even realize it had a track editor. Oh, yeah, I couldn't figure out how to get working. Yeah, I I've never either. used it either. <laughs> I haven't tried for a while. It was my, I was really hoping to be able to make like a track with all these like obstacles lined up, but I really didn't have any luck. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in there, and not being able to read really hindered me. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it, it's a bummer. Hopefully, maybe we, we can get some guide going for that, and we could make full cow levels. It'll be like a blizzard with their cow levels, except ours would be better. 
and we'd have to like teach people how to make it you know frame by frame and then we'll have to hold a zero to shiro contest for it oh hell yeah is it just me or does the graphics kind of look like road rash like that same kind of engine it does kind of have that feel to it yeah like a japanese road rash with noodles with noodles and cows and Cows. on the backs of trucks throwing bananas well, it's japanese right so it you expect that yeah. <laughs> interesting tidbit um the uh supposedly i haven't tried it yet but um supposedly the game supports uh analog controllers it oh, does really? it does uh, i used one today oh nice so well, they put a lot of effort into that for 200 people yeah well so they used like the information i have um uh, and I'm uh, going to credit Mark Smith um, you know, from uh, Assembler um, for this information. This is off of his website. Uh, that the game itself was actually, you know, after it was developed, was given to the um, the show, and they used it with their own uh, props and such. And that's what they were actually playing when they did the updated version. So, you know, they just never sh- uh, showed a Saturn. And the contestants were on a fake moped. Cool. Um, so we'll get to like the you know elephant in the room. Um, this thing is a very rare, and we're not talking eBay rare. We're talking like you know ridiculously hard to find, actually rare uh, game. And I paid a bit for mine, but mine did not come complete. So. It's not as expensive as what you'd see on eBay. Um, I've seen prices range from about $900 a couple of years ago uh, up to almost $2,000. Wow, that's the that's the price of a actually used moped. <laughs> Seriously. And, and so that's... for all this cash that you would have to lay out for this game, um, you, you pretty much just get, you know, TV game and time attack and a coin variation and, and that's it. Um, the track editor, if anyone can really figure it out, that's going to be where your most replay value comes from. But other than that, this is this is a throwaway game. It's such a sadness, too, because it's just such a cool concept and cool game idea. It would have been nice if Sega just released this like a, a worldwide thing or just a Japan-wide thing. Well, something kind of interesting that I found today when I was, I was looking up um, different gameplay videos is Saturn Memories, I believe it was, had posted a video of the Wii reimagining of this game. So there's a Wii game called Tokyo Friend Park 2, and it's Japanese only, of course. And one of the mini games is a reimagining of Deli Soba with, you know, the Mii style graphics and stuff. So I thought that was pretty interesting that it made a reappearance all those years later. Bizarre. But yeah, uh, uh, in my opinion, though, I really think that you guys should at least try it out. I mean, yeah, it might be expensive, but I mean, if you can find find ways to try it out, I definitely would, as it's a fun game, and it's definitely a fun party game for that bizarreness. Yeah, the images out there, um, if you you know follow um, anything from Redump.org, you'll you'll see the release. Cool. Well, uh, so do you guys have any closing uh, closing statements on the game before we uh, we close out our topic? Yeah, not really. Cow slalom. Cow slalom. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, uh, from all of us here at Shiro, uh, thanks for uh, talking with us with uh, racing games. Uh, We had a lot of fun. (laughs) 
All right. So we've been trying to get to our listener mail. And so, yeah, this is uh, from Brandon Adams. He goes, hello, guys and gals. Super glad that you now have an email address for questions, etc. I absolutely love the Saturn, favorite console of all time, but was slash am also a fan of the N64 and PS1 to a much lesser degree. My question is, if you could have had any game that was released on either of those other platforms or replicated on Saturn, which game would you choose and why? Uh, oh my god, that is a hard question. Uh, I guess if I had to pick one game, hmm, uh, can I pick one of each or just one in general? Um, one of each. Okay, we can go with that. So, uh, in the PS1's case, I personally would love would love love to play Final Fantasy 7 on the on the Saturn. Mm-hmm. I know if that was the case it probably would have never came to America what the Saturn was going on with, but if it could be in English, I would love to to play it just because I'd love to experience it on the Saturn. I just think it's a really unique game and I think having some square games on Saturn might would have been a great way to boost up the sales for the system. Pat, you took my pick. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking with that as well. Um, so what's your rationale? Me, yeah, for, for me, it's really for the sake of what if. You know, I normally am not that big of a fan of speculation, but in this case, I kind of wonder what happened, or I wonder what would have happened if Square had made their deal with Sega instead of Sony. Like, would it have changed the landscape for localization? Um, you know, there was a huge marketing campaign behind FF7 that really kicked off interest in JRPGs in the West. So I, I wonder if Sega had seen that firsthand, if their attitudes might have been a little bit different. Um, would we have gotten translations of things like Sakura Wars and Grandia on the Saturn? And in more America? importantly, Lunar 1 and 2. Yes, absolutely. And, you know... Um, just thinking about like all of those Square games, like you said, being on the Saturn, um, Xenogears, um, Chrono Cross. Can you imagine like Vagrant Story on the Saturn? I mean, it's kind of cool to think about what that would have been like. I mean, would the Saturn have ever lasted to into the 2000s to see a game like Vagrant Story? Probably not, but it's still kind of fun to think about. What about UK? What uh, in the terms of the PS1? What would you say your pick would be? If Saturn um, had a controller that would support it, Metal Gear Solid. Oh my God! Yes, okay. Uh, that that game. Uh, what is? What do? You, what do you think? What do you believe would be the the reason to put that on there? I don't think we got in enough um, from you know good Konami, uh, especially in the nineties. Um, I love. The Metal Gear series. Uh, I'm a big Hideo Kojima fan, and um, I I just think that I would enjoy that game just that much more if it was also on my favorite console. I, I definitely agree. I know there is rumors that really, really loose rumors that it was once considered and code might have been passed through it that had some sort of testing environment for it, but. As we all know, it's just rumors at this point, and there's nothing really to say about it. And and like I said, I I love I'm the same way. I love Kojima. I love all his works, and I think a game like that would have blown the lid off the Saturn. And yeah, blown I completely it agree. 
I would have loved to have seen a cinematic game like that. I mean, we know that this Saturn was on its way there with games like Panzer Dragoon Saga. I just, I really would have loved to seen a game like Metal Gear Solid on the Saturn. Cool. All right. So uh, in terms of N64, uh, I guess I'll, if it's cool, I'll start off with that. Um, I would have to say I would love to see that Neon Genesis Evangelion game on there as I think it's probably one of the most faithful and playable versions of the of a Neon Genesis game. And a big EVA fan, I really would love to play something like that on the, the Saturn and have that fighting robot instead of a lot of the turn-based stuff or the weird dating sims they have for it. What about uh, you guys? I oh. am... <laughs> I have no answer for this. Yeah, N64. Um... Yeah, no. <laughs> It's uh, it, it, this is a hard one. Um, I, I I like you know Zelda, um, but I, I just don't like the N sixty four. I was a big fan of the WCW versus NWO World Tour uh, game uh, and its sequel, and I almost want to say that, except yeah, I mean I just I just can't think of. Um, you know what? Maybe I can. Maybe I can. Um, Goldeneye is a is a possibility. That's a possibility. Um, but Shadows of the Empire, I'll, I'll go with that. That's an actual N sixty four game I like. That I would love to see on the Saturn. That's a great game. Great choice. You know what? I'll throw Shadowgate sixty four out there. Um, really cool, um, kind of dark adventure game and music by Seori Kabayashi, who was at home on the Saturn. Um, I definitely could see that maybe being on the system. I think I'd like it there. Yeah, one of them I also considered was uh, was Bangayo, just that mm-hmm. that we could have that cool that cool transition between a Saturn and Dreamcast with that game. Yeah. But yeah, those are definitely excellent choices. I would love to have all of those on there. But I mean, to be honest though, if the way that it was displayed, I think maybe says it all about the N sixty four and the Saturn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're you're right there, Pat. Because like um, we with the PS One, we instantly was like, oh Final Fantasy, old oh, Metal Gear. But the other one, it's like it took us a little bit. And to be completely honest, I don't think our choices would be as good on the N sixty four than they were on the PS One. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a really cool question to think about. Um, I want to thank Brandon for sending that in to us because I, I had you know a lot of fun just kind of sitting there thinking, you know, what really would be neat on this system. So thanks for asking us, Brandon. Was there any other listener mail we had? Yeah. Um, resident uh, fan, Johnny Mono um, also sent in a question. It was actually our first question. And um, we wanted to you know, do an update that we were still going to do an article about his question, which is uh, what is our, you know, our opinion, the best Saturn? Um, we're going to, you know, kind of look at it from two different standpoints and you know, one being the more technical, uh, factual reason, you know, what the best iteration of the hardware was. But I think, you know, we all kind of have our favorite, uh, version of the console, right? Definitely. I mean, uh, aesthetically what, I mean, if we could just answer it, just like a quick, t- just a quick opinion piece, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, I guess really, if I could pick my favorite Saturn, uh, I'd have to pick the the white Japanese Saturn. I just think it has a really really cool color design. The controllers are, are beautiful, uh, and I, I just really love the the way that it looks aesthetically. 
versus uh versus the American uh, Saturn iteration or the gray Saturn. I know there's the the cool designs like the skeleton Saturn and the uh, the other variations of that, but I, I personally I just really I was never a big fan of the the um, see-through designs. I just love the aesthetics of the the white one though. What about you guys? Yeah, um, I have a white Saturn myself. That one quite a bit. Um, it's it's pretty hard for me to choose because on the oval button models, I really like the um, drive axis lights and power lights that we have, and I kind of miss that from the round button model. Um, I guess if I had to choose, I'd probably go with the V Saturn just because I like the pastel colors of the buttons. Um, for me, I think um, the best color scheme was probably the white. Um, but my favorite of all the different uh, console variants is probably going to be the uh, Navi. It, it's the most, well, I can't say it's the most different. Um, it's uh, the most strange? No, the most strange one is that karaoke machine one. That thing oh, is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is pretty strange. Never mind. <laughs> but, um, you know, from a console design perspective, it's you know pretty efficient. It's you know very compact and... Um, for something that was actually produced, I think that would probably be my, my favorite with the next favorite being the, uh, was it the Pluto prototype? Yeah. That, uh, which one specifically? I know there was a couple different ones. Oh, the one that was a, a combination, like a slimline Saturn plus a built-in, um, Netlink modem. Yeah. That one was pretty sweet. Wish it actually came out. I, I thought the design on that looked pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, Definitely, I I loved all I really loved all those for different reasons, and the one thing I, I don't know if it's probably gonna be in scope of the episode, but the the Navi, you said it was a it was a smaller version. Did that mean it was a uh, like a a slimline revision, or was it a something that was just stuffed in the shell? Well, it's um it was made by Hitachi, uh, as opposed to Sega, and um, I believe that Sega gave them. You know, rain to do a, a different design, and they did. I mean, I can't say that it's the most attractive. It's just definitely most interesting. It's much more boxy, um, about maybe one half to three quarters the height of a normal Saturn. Um, it's got karaoke controls in the front for and, and uh, mic inputs also in the front. Um, you can attach a screen to it, uh, and the unit came with a gps you know in like 1995 very very interesting i i I always found that really cool how gps works where you have to actually connect it in your car to your parking brake the the video screen you mean is it the video screen that has it or is it the saturn itself i was i was kind of confused on that so the the saturn itself um won't play games um, if you don't have the parking brake engaged, uh, if you hook it up correctly. So it's kind of like if you had a, a DVD player in your modern car. Um, it, it, the idea being that uh, it will prevent you from you know, being able to see the DVD movie playing and distract the driver. Um, but yeah, if you had the parking brake uh, disengaged, you could still run navigation software in the GPS part. I gotcha. Yeah, cool. So, uh, any closing thoughts on it uh, before 
Um, yeah, um, I, I want to thank both of you guys for writing into us and um, encourage everybody to, if you have any questions or comments or would like to hear us discuss, um, hit us up at contact at segasaturnshiro.com. Yeah, so thank you very much, guys, for those questions. Uh, I definitely would look forward to hearing some more in the future. All right, guys, so uh, before we go, we'd like to uh, get a few plugs out, as we always love doing towards the end of the podcast. So I guess the, the first plug we should talk about is Peter's article, which is the Chaz's Panzer Dragoon Saga interview. Yeah, that was just released last week. Um, Peter and I had done an interview with Chaz on one of the previous podcasts about his 100% completion run, and Peter has since turned that into an article. So if you weren't able to catch that on the cast, go ahead and check out either um, our blog on Podium or the Facebook page to find Peter's article on that. All right, so uh, speaking of Chaz, he's also going to be doing his live stream at usual. Of course, he'll be doing the a racing one this Sunday, which uh, is going to be uh, passed by this time. But uh, his next stream should uh, be very interesting, so check him out Sundays at 6 p.m. EST. Um, we are going to have a uh, the an, an, another anime stream. Uh, I think uh, I'd like to do one on that racing game, the dating sim racing game we talked about on the other podcast, just as a one-off, and sort of see how far we can get and how many people we can pick up. That definitely sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, a lot of laughs, for sure, Pat. That's a good idea. Yeah, so uh, we have an interesting guest lined up uh, that I think you guys will love. Uh, we're going to try to keep it a surprise until uh, we're ready to go, but... Uh, we're going to talk about that, and uh, we're, we're going to struggle through the game. And, of course, we're going to finish up uh, uh, Magic Knight Rare. We're almost there. It's got to be pushing, but I think it'd be kind of fun to do this one and sort of tie it in with the racing game and sort of struggle and sort of have a great laugh about it. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to that for sure. And I think the one last thing that I'd like to plug before we wrap up are Dave's Sonic R videos. He's done some tutorials on how to get all the Chaos Emeralds and unlock all the characters by collecting all the coins. And those are over on the Sega Saturn Shiro Facebook page. So if you like Sonic R and you want to know how to become a master, then check it out. It's also uh, He's also periodically posting on the YouTube page as well. So if you guys want to check it out, the Sega Saturn Shiro on YouTube, just give us a search. We'll pop up. Uh, he has He's starting up the videos on there as well including Chaz's prior live streams. So yeah, guys, uh, the last thing we'd like to uh, talk about was our store. We, uh, of course, as you guys know, we opened up a store for uh, not only for our merchandise, but Sega Lord X as well. So we got t-shirts, mugs, bags, uh, jackets, hoodies, whatever you guys need, we got you. We're going to cover you with good clothes, good, good goodness. You know, get the logos on there. We got the beautiful, the beautiful oval button design, the round button design, the Sigata Sanchiro design, all these great designs, these t-shirts. And we've had all our fans are coming out and tons of them are buying this, buying this stuff and repping us. And we, we want to let you know that we really appreciate it. I, I can't tell you how cool it is to have something that came up in our heads on somebody's shirt. Like that's just, it's unbelievable. And uh, we thank everybody that's purchased merchandise in our store. I mean, we know John, Johnny Manos picked up a shirt. Uh, Peter's picked up a mug. Uh, my friend Eric has, he was repping actually at the at the uh, Zap Conte. He was repping the the uh, circle button design while I was repping the oval button design. So it was kind of a cool little twinsy thing that we were doing. 
Uh, so yeah, uh, you guys want cool stuff? You guys want to rep us? And the cool thing is, is that the merchandise just looks really great. Personally, I'm not a big fan of like you know the weird designs or memes or anything on the shirts, but I think Dave made some great designs that just look beautiful. So yeah, uh, if you guys want to check us out at our uh, Threadless link, we'll be posting the podcast notes. Or just uh, search Threadless uh, Sega Saturn Shiro, and our store will come up, and you can get designs and anything you want. So uh, on behalf of everyone at the Sega Saturn Shiro, we bid you adieu, and always remind you that you must play Sega Saturn. Yeah.